Bon Appetit Foodcast. I'm Adam Rapport. This week, uh, we have on Kwame Nwachi, the chef of Kith and Kin in Washington, D.C., as well as two fast casual joints, Philly Wing Fry. He is the author of the recently published book, Notes from a Young Black Chef, which I actually read. And I say actually because I have no attention span and I can't finish anything. But this memoir, uh, it's a really, really good book. It's about um, Kwame's grown up in the Bronx, his move to Nigeria as a young kid, coming back, trials and tribulations after that. Uh, and eventually sort of rising to success as a chef. But uh, it's a book much more about just growing up than it is about being a chef in a lot of ways, and I highly recommend it. Today we talk about his story and how he wrote this book. All right, let's do this. Kwame Nwachi, welcome to the pod. Thanks for having me. I'm very, very, very excited to be here. We got three varies. I like it. <laughs> very excited. Okay, so... I'm just going to put you on the spot right out of the gate, all right? Okay. You're, you're from New York. You've got friends, family here, former colleagues here. Everyone mm-hmm. wants a piece of you right now. Where did you eat last night? Friday, Saturday, Sunday in Philadelphia. Oh, you were in Philly last night? Yeah. Oh, you weren't even in New York no. last night. You want to know where I ate in New York? Yeah. I ate at Fist Cheeks 30 minutes ago. Oh, 30, <laughs> 30 minutes ago en route. It was delicious. It was what you have. I had their whole steamed fish. Ooh, so nice. You, have you been to Fish I have not, no, no. It's my favorite restaurant in the country right now. So, really? Why? Yeah. It's food that really reminds me of being in Thailand, mm-hmm. which is, as you know, hard to find. Yeah. Like that true, true, true authentic. Yeah. And, you know, they, they take really, really good care of their, their food. They, they cook with love and you can taste it. So there's a whole steamed black bass and it's in this like ginger and lime broth mm-hmm. and it comes like in this like miniature little chafing dish to the table. So it's like bubbling, has like the flames mm. underneath it and it's still simmering as you're eating it. And then there was a coconut crab curry. There was a crab fried rice, uh, shrimp. Uh, I'm gonna destroy the name, yeah. but it was a, a shrimp salad with like a coconut um, fish sauce on it. it. It was like, it, it was it was out of this world. That sounds amazing. So good. So when you go out to eat like at a restaurant like this, how often are you just, I'm just going to enjoy a meal or I'm just going to eat? And how often are you sort of taking mental notes and be like, ooh, this might be something I want to riff on? Always. Um, I, I wouldn't say riff on, but you take like certain elements, you know? Like, like from this meal, what might you, what, what did you come away with? Like, oh, I should, I should think about I, doing it. It doesn't that. come like, I'm going to take this yeah, idea yeah. and steal it. it. It usually comes in like your creative process when you're creating a dish. It's like, oh, I remember this fish that I had in this broth. So I'm going to do my version of oh, this some, in a broth. Yeah, exactly. You know, and and your broth might be completely different. Exactly. But and you were inspired. It sort of got you thinking. Exactly. And that's really where it comes into play. Okay. So books out. You've got an enormous amount of press coverage, good vibes from the book. Just came out a few days ago. When you wrote it, mm-hmm. what were you expecting the reception to be and what were you hoping the reception to be i honestly had no idea i think a lot of times with yourself you're always like who who cares about my story yeah you know like why is my story so interesting and um it was that that i had to battle with myself and so like no everyone's story is is meant to be heard or everyone has a story and i imagine it's tough for you when you've told the story so many times in your head you're like oh my god is this even interesting anymore exactly like, exactly do people and, even care and then i you know my story was an elevator pitch you know talking to in front of guests or investors or whatever so like 
this time it was the full story, the okay, good so and the, the bad. Okay, so the extended version. So you were yeah. used to sort of giving your spiel to, hey, get, hook, get someone to invest in you. It was just or, a romantic, yeah. you know, yeah, I sold candy on the subway, exactly. and then I did this, and then I did that. People are like, no way. Yeah, but now it's like, no, I had to sell candy on the subway because of this. Yeah, and you had and, to turn this into 220 pages. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it was um, it was a therapeutic, very therapeutic uh, process, um, putting your life story all right, so pages. I guess my so all right. A, thank you for coming on the pod because this is I'm gonna this is a I, I don't mean this as a backhanded compliment. I mean this is a compliment. Um, you got me to read and finish the book. I am like one of those guys <laughs> who my 11 year old has a better attention span than really? me right now. I'm just like between the, the iPhone and YouTube and podcasts and That's, my job, I just can't commit. That's you a know? huge compliment. Thank so, you. yeah, so I read I, it I'm the start to finish. And I'm like, I finished it and I'm like, I want a medal. How long did it take you? I not that long cuz like it was, it's always one of those things. It's not about it's when you can find the time. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like when I when do I have a long subway ride where I yeah. can sort of get into it or a certain time at night if like my wife's out and my kids asleep, I can all right, I can spend some time with it. I I encourage people that are listening that are like you know, my dear friend here, yes. um, to re- to listen to the audiobook. Oh, Because yeah. I, I narrated myself. Oh, cool. That's awesome. So it's it's um, it's full of energy. My wife just was doing the uh, the Beastie Boys book, which came out last year, which yeah. is like a nine-hour version. And I thought what was interesting about that book, you know, they got all these stories about how they kind of came to be and whatnot, and each chapter is narrated by a different sort of interesting, you know, person, whether in the hip-hop world or rock oh, world really? or, you know, an actor or whatever. Okay. Uh, so that was kind of a cool treatment of that. But the, the, the audio thing, especially nowadays, yeah, but you're so used to listening to podcasts or maybe you're driving. It's, mm-hmm. an inter- it's a cool way to sort of absorb. Yeah. So I, A, I got a lot of questions. Okay. Um, so I'm Shoot. Gonna, just I'm just gonna, start firing them firing away. Yeah. So the title of the book, Notes from a Young Black Chef. Mm-hmm. So much of the book was not even about being a chef. It was obviously the, the road that led you to there. Mm-hmm. Do you think you would have had this book in you, say you had gone on to become doctor, lawyer, or whatever, one of these sort of professions? It feels like that your life story still would have sort of warranted in your mind a story to tell. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, I think this is where I'm at right now, you know, in my career. Yeah. I think, honestly, if I'm going to be candid, um, I've always wanted to not pigeonhole myself as like a black chef. I wanted to be remembered as a chef, you know. And I but the title on the cover is exactly. "No from a Young Black uh, Chef" because that's yeah. that's where I'm at. Yeah. I mean, I'm constantly reminded of it every single day, yeah. whether it's by the delivery guy, whether it's. <laughs> you, you have know. you have that story in the book where the delivery guy comes in the kitchen looking for someone to sign, looking for the chef to sign, yeah. and he walks right by you exactly because he just assumes you're not the boss exactly. And I I am a black chef. I, I cook I cook, you know, my food. Yeah, you know, um, which I am somewhat defined by so i think it it doesn't matter what what path i took i think you're right i had i have a story to tell but since i am heavily into this into this industry this is the story that i'm telling what made you feel like i need to get this out now i need to tell this story now as opposed to like you know what Maybe when I get to that level of Eric Repair or Daniel Blue and I'm 20 years in the biz and I've got three, four restaurants and everyone knows me, that's the time to write a book. But you said, no, no, you obviously felt like you needed to get this out in some way. Well, tomorrow isn't promised today, right? Okay, so there like, you go. I'm not going to look into the 20 year down the road. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've just yeah. I've seen people pass away at young, young yeah. ages. So it's not about... I'm just living. I'm just walking in my purpose right now. I was I was afforded the opportunity. I didn't like seek out publishers, and I was just telling my story one day on stage at Bitten, the Bitten conference, mm-hmm. very close to here. Um, was like four, three years ago, and there was a literary agent in the crowd, and she was like, "You should have a book." 
And I was like, all right, let's do it. You know, I was just like. Had, had that occurred to you before? To write a book? Yeah. I mean, I, I thought my story was interesting. You know, I, I traveled around the country and um, did pop-ups. And before the dinners, I would just, I would uh, uh, lengthen the story based on how intricate my first course was because mm-hmm. I needed time to plate up. <laughs> so I would tell a 20-minute anecdote or a five-minute one, you know, yeah. um, and I got, I got, in, you know, good at it. So, you know, I got an opportunity, you yeah. know, and where I'm from opportunities you know you have to make them and when they do come along you're either prepared for them and can execute them or you know you you let it go by and I put my head down and wrote my own proposal and chopped it around yeah it worked out how much you know looking at the title notes from a young black chef there's obviously a long sort of storied history in this country of from Richard Wright to James Baldwin etc down the road you know Ralph Ellison of like what it's like to be a black man grown up in in America Mm -hmm. and how much of when writing this book was in your mind like yeah i I would like to enter that pantheon i want want to be among those (laughs) you know those giants you know as opposed to just writing a book about the restaurant industry exactly well you know it started as that it started as you know being honest again uh it was called chasing happiness Mm -hmm. that's how that's what the proposal was titled and it was this like very simple linear story and you know to your point I'm young. I'm still living my life as I'm writing it. Yeah. You know, the book was supposed to come out before, soon after the Shaw Bijou opened up, and it closed, and that changed the whole narrative of the book. Yeah. So you, so <laughs> you, you signed the deal before that that oh, restaurant yeah. was even. It was, yeah. It was yeah. Before everything. Yeah. So yeah. you were still very much a young chef at that point. Very young. Yeah. Absolutely. You weren't even a head chef at that point. No, I wasn't. All right. So that's what's interesting about the book. So if, for those of you who have not read the book, Charles Kwame's story from young childhood in the Bronx, into Nigeria, back to the Bronx, college, which is a whole other, not the typical college experience, I would say. <laughs> um, not, not, for, not for many. <laughs> no, it's, it seems like a common thread throughout the book from being a young kid into sort of getting your first jobs in catering or in restaurants is having a lot of bravado, a lot of hustle, if you will, maybe telling some half-truths mm-hmm. to get in the door, but then once you're in the door, working your ass off to back up exactly. the bravado. Exactly, yeah. And like, where did that come from? I came from my mom, watching my mom. All right, so yeah, let's let's talk about your mom for a bit and, and her influence on you and, and, and what it was about her that sort of made you, you. Yeah, my mom, you know, she inspires me for, for a lot of things, for a lot of reasons, you know, mainly her ambition and her, she's resilient. her hustle, Just yeah, resilient. resilient. Like, you, you it know? seemed like she was the, the type of person who was not going to quit. And you made that point when you visited some other friends who's like, you know, she's, she's not going to take any assistance. She's not going to take any support, mm-hmm. whether welfare or otherwise. Like, she's going to make her living. She's going to make it happen. And she, it's going to be on her. Yeah. So that's where I get my drive, you know, watching her. You yeah. know, any, anytime I thought I had it bad, like where I was like doing my catering or selling some yeah. candy on the subway. I was like, my mom was surviving in the 90s with two kids alone and working as a chef. And you were literally sleeping in a closet in your apartment. Yes, yes. So um, I hats off to her. You know, she inspires me still to this day. So I want to talk about how tough she was because in the beginning of the book, you talk about when you're a little kid, like you were, you know, stapled to her side while she's cooking. She's Mm -hmm. like, and she's originally, her family goes back to to, to Louisiana and Texas and, and making a lot of the food of that region. And you're, you're just sort of drawn into the kitchen. Mm-hmm. But then as you got a little bit older, 
and I have a certain 11-year-old son who, like, who makes me – I was thinking about him when I was reading this book. Like, you, you started getting some old ideas in your head, and you started like, yeah, kind of being your own man even though you were nine years old. Mm-hmm. And she's like, all right, Kwame, we're sending you to Nigeria to live with your uh, grandfather on your, on your dad's side. Mm-hmm. And you're like, wait, what? And yeah. I, that, it, as a parent, it, it, I get it because kids can be the most – as much as you love them, they can frustrate the hell out of you. But there are that's like a that was a power move by her. She's like, you know what? I just I need to do what's good for you and you might not recognize it at the time. For sure. How long after she sent you to Nigeria and you can talk about how long you were there for, did you did you resent that for years afterwards? Yeah. Well, here's the thing. I knew I was a piece of shit kid. I, I was like a bad kid, you just know. A lot of attitude and talk back. A lot of attitude, yeah. talk back, you know, come home when I want to. Like this is at a young age and um, you know, it's it's hard for parents, especially yeah. in the South Bronx, you know, or in the Bronx. Like, that's an easy path that you can see your child going down. Um, and kudos to her for, like, she, it was tough as a parent to send me away, but would she rather send me away to prison or in a body bag yeah. or send me to Nigeria for a couple years to, to get well, my stuff together? Well, it was really tough. There's a one scene in the book's very poignant. You you're, you go there for the summer, and you're like, okay, cool. I'm gonna go visit my grandfather, or cousins, and whatnot, hang out in Nigeria. And then you call her, like, all right, mom, I'm ready to come home. And she's like, you're not coming home. Yeah, yeah, just staying there until you learn respect. And that was two years. I met that. I imagine you you must have remembered that moment like crystal clear for the rest of your life. Yeah, I dropped the phone immediately. Like, I I couldn't believe it. You, you were like nine at that point. 10? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, we went, we were in an internet cafe, like a dusty internet cafe in the middle of Nigeria. (laughs) And I just dropped the phone, got back in the car and we left. And that was, I had to settle into my reality. And you had no idea when you were going to go back at that point. No, I had zero idea. Zero idea. That's when I fell in love with Harry Potter though. Because I had the (laughs) Harry Potter books there to, to keep me company. Well, it's interesting, but then you you managed to turn that sort of trying time into a positive. And and once I, I thought one theme that sort of recurs to your book is that you talk about ultimately going to school in Nigeria and how sort of respect begets respect, and and what it was like to be treated by teachers in Nigeria compared to some of your teachers in the South Bronx, and mm-hmm. how they looked at you as just like, oh, Kwame, that kid's trouble. Yeah. Or you know, we were yeah. always just kids in yeah. Nigeria. You know, we weren't black kids. We yeah. were just kids. And there wasn't that like divide. Yeah, it's you like, know? oh, you're the there's, troublemaker. There's no troublemaker. Yeah. Like, there's a troublemaker. That's uh, that's a a kid that's m- causing a lot, a lot of trouble. Yeah. And there wasn't that like bias. Yeah. Yeah. And then that I, f- I feel like that subject then or theme resurfaces later on in the book. When you start working in professional kitchens, like when you get to 11 Madison Park and the first chef to cuisine is a guy that you really liked and respect and he respected you mm-hmm. and it's very synergistic and then a new guy takes over and all of a sudden the tone completely changes. Yeah. And all of a sudden like you're the same person doing the same work, but now you're like getting the side eye or whatever. Yeah. Getting yelled and at. having to prove myself once again or, yeah. It's interesting when you read those sort of things about a professional kitchen, you're like, well, it doesn't seem like a professional kitchen has to be this way because we were just working for someone who made a completely different tone. Exactly, exactly. And it, that's the thing, you know, with what I'm trying to break down and trying to make people realize that, like, yes, you know, there are great people that come out of abuse. There's also great people who came from nurturing yeah, and uh, massaging those talents instead yeah. of, 
you know, beating them out of someone, you know? Well, yeah, and I, I think, you know, this has obviously been written about a lot in the last year since the Me Too movement about restaurant kitchens and the restaurant industry. And it comes from this world of, you know, I remember reading Eric Repair's memoir, 32 Yokes, and just talking about working in restaurants, Michelin-starred restaurants in Paris, you know, mm-hmm. 80s and 70s, and just getting berated and screamed at. And there's this culture of, like, we have to beat you down. And then build you back yeah. up. But do, do, do you need to, though? <laughs> no, like, no, you don't. You can get a lot more out of people for having an emotional connection to them. So, yeah, so how do you run things at Kith and Kin, then? Like, how do you, what sort of culture do you sort of institute based on what you, your time at Per Se or your time at EMP? Where, like, you know what? That's not what I want to do. Well, I try to get to know my cooks on a personal level, you know, get to know what's going on. It, it, it's the same structure that you have in, in any pr- other professional environment, you know? You're... Your supervisor tries to get to know you, Yeah, tries to know when your birthday is or when your significant other birthday is or how old your children are so you can have this some sort this this rapport. Yeah. Um, so that way, when someone comes in and they're not performing their best, I don't take it as personally that they're attacking me. It's like, what's what's going on? Are you OK? You want to let's go for a walk. Yeah. Let's go and talk. Hey, I'm Kwame right now. It's not chef. It's like it's me and you. Let's just talk on a personal level. And I can get what's wrong with my cooks from that because people, I mean, we have a, we have a life outside of the kitchen, you know, and it's not, um, it's not life or death, you know, uh, we are, we are there to create great experiences for people, but we have to take care of the people that are then put in charge of creating great experiences for yeah. people. But it's tough because there's that, there's that, that schism of, Hey, you're a human being, you've got to significant other you've got whatever problems at home mm-hmm. like i can i'm here for you but then also you also talk about in the opening scene in the book you're doing a catering high-end catering gig at the Amer- african-american history museum at smithsonian dc and it's like if everyone isn't firing on all cylinders that whole production goes off the rails mm-hmm. and there needs to be there needs to be a, a sense of discipline absolutely and like you need to be everyone needs to be in lockstep so then how do you enforce that while also seem, still being a empathetic guy so with that being said you're getting the best out of people because Mm -hmm. not everyone's going to come in and fire in on all cylinders every single day it's very hard to get someone to do that the reason why a lot of us chefs are in this position is because we do that day in and day out no matter what's going on in our personal life we put that aside we put our heads down we'll come in if somebody calls out we'll stay late we'll open we'll close we'll do whatever it takes but we can't expect that from everyone that's yeah. working with us. So what you need to do is you need to um, empathize with these people that are working for you. Find out what's going on and then try to bring them back out of that. Yeah. So like, you know, I have a guy on hot apps, you know, sometimes in my restaurant, he's in his head for various reasons, things that are going on at home. But I know what's going on because I, I talk to him. Yes. So I'm like, so you have hey, a, you man, have a sense like, hey, I get it. I let's, get let's it. Let's refocus. We talk about that after. after yeah. The like. You know, is this person in your family okay? Like, how's everything going? Yeah. You heard bad news today. I'm so sorry. But listen, <laughs> we, we got we this. Gotta, yeah. We, we got, got 200 this. covers out there right now. We got right 200 now. covers. Yeah. I need, you, to, I need yeah. you tonight. Let's just get through this. Maybe you can go home a little bit early or step out and call them if you need to. But it's almost 5 o'clock. Yeah. Like, let's get hustle. our stations together. And then it's like, we. You know, and there's this, yeah. this, this, this form of camaraderie between us because there's you just said we it's interesting i was like you you never trust like a 
person in charge who says I all the time. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Says, well, I did this and I did that. And you're like, actually, it's, yeah, technically, but it's, it is the we. It's we. You know? It's we. I yeah. meant we like, yes. No, I know. Oh, you said we as in chef. <laughs> yeah, oh, we yeah, chef. Yeah, but yeah, I also yeah. mean we as in but like. But no, we that have to go into service. Because like, yeah, if, if, if the team isn't together, the service doesn't work. doesn't mm-hmm. matter how talented Kwame no, is. it doesn't or, matter. Or, you know. If Garmage goes down, the kitchen goes down. It yeah. doesn't matter if roast goes down. Garmage goes down, kitchen goes down. Same as the dishwasher goes down, kitchen goes down. So we're a team together. You know, I bring the dishwashers into pre-shift, and we have pre-shift together, and we all talk together. You know, it's really, really important. Yeah. All right. So you, so you're you're in this great place now. You got you got nominated for a James Beard Foundation Award. Mm-hmm. Just got a Food and Wine Best New Chef. You got this book that's getting tons of heat. <laughs> so, but you had it. Yeah, you had a rough upbringing. Uh, talk about dealing drugs when you're in college abusive father all this stuff that your mom working her ass off just to make ends meet trying to make ends meet and it was interesting you talk about one time about having you know just there were days of just like sandwiches and white bread and like barely enough to eat mm-hmm. and I, I, i've often wondered this with chefs and the, the opening scene in the book you're also talking about making this very refined interpretation of gumbo and you're spooning the caviar on there and you've mm-hmm. got the lobster talk and everything <laughs> do you ever reconcile with that like oh man like there's a lot of people who can barely eat others. There's so many tough, but then I'm going to do this very luxurious dish. Mm-hmm. And how do you remind you sort of reconcile? The I mean, two? I, I give back in other ways. Yeah. You know, I got to make a living. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, it doesn't matter if you're living below the poverty line, but you work at General Motors, putting a, a tire on a car that you can never afford. It, it's very similar, you know, yeah. um, in that regard, I have a job to do, you know, and this is, um, what I feel that I'm good at. So that's how I make my living. But um, you can use this platform to instill change. You know, you can use this platform to raise funds for people that wouldn't even want to eat this gumbo with caviar. They just yeah. want to eat regular gumbo yeah. or they don't even eat gumbo. But you also use it as a place. Op- you, in, in, in that uh, that charity event, you also use it as an opportunity to tell your story and give these people some background about what they're eating and why and, yeah. and, and how this dish came to be. Exactly. Even though it's a very much more sort of elevated version of the original, but there is an original. And there's, there's original a, and there, you know, there's a story behind it, but also these people are going to get this food from somebody. So like, I, I'd rather sell it to them than yeah. <laughs> the next guy. Talk about in the book, another thing which you talk about a lot was your ability to kind of cross borders, mm-hmm. to go from uptown to downtown, from sort of cultured, interesting get-togethers. You talk about Spike Lee and other people you met when you were a little kid, mm-hmm. to hanging out with kids in the projects in, in the Bronx. At what point did you kind of recognize that you might be a little bit different than a lot of the kids you were growing up with? Well, I had different experiences. I had spent time in Africa. You yeah. know, the kids in the Bronx did not spend time yeah. in Africa. You know, um, I, I had traveled to Louisiana, you know, to, to Beaumont, Texas, you know, for my family reunions, you know, a lot of them haven't really even left that area. So like I knew, um, experience wise, I I had different experiences than the kids that I surrounded myself with. Um, and also I can move from uptown to downtown and I knew my way around. So like just from my experiences alone, I knew that I was different, but inherently different. I mean, I, I, I thought we were all the same, Yeah. you know, like I, I still, talk to my friends back home and I'm like, you know, you can do, you can do this. You can be where I am. You know, I, I still think everyone has 
something in them to do more yeah. than what they're doing. Absolutely. In terms of getting started cooking, you you cook for your first kind of real like hardcore kitchen job was working in the Gulf of Mexico after the oil spill mm-hmm. and they were cleaning up the Gulf. Yeah. Talk about that because that that strikes me as insane. The fact <laughs> that you kind of talked your way into this gig and you're like, did you you knew you were going to get paid well? Yeah, yeah, we were paid handsomely, but um, I had no idea what I was doing. You know, and my mother even warned me. She's like, "This is going to make or break you." You know, yeah. you don't have a cell phone to like look up recipes. Like you're just out there cooking for these people on a ship in a little galley. In a little galley. This is all yeah. they 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 do three things a day. They work, they sleep, and they eat. That's it. So I was a third of, of their focal point of the day. And um, I, I just cooked, I just mimicked my mom. You know, I cooked But you had to get love. that point. You originally, the, the chef there, this guy Tex you talked about, was <laughs> kind of like, he's going to do his thing, and you were there to help him. And at some point, you're like, well, let, let me let me get a shot. Well, yeah, I walked in. The guy asked me if I knew how to read. Yeah. And started <laughs> using terms like you people. Yeah. I get a lot of you people that <laughs> don't know how to read. or And I was like, you know what? Yeah. <laughs> I tried to work with him. And it didn't work out, so I was like, you just cook your food, I'll cook my food. And um, that's how I became the head chef, quote-unquote, on the boat after they tasted my food side-by-side side with Tex. They were just but, like, but, but at that point, how much but you, how much actual restaurant cooking had you? Had you done any restaurant cooking at that um, point? Not really. I had done in Louisiana. Uh-huh. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't get into every single thing I did in the book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I worked Word in, like, five restaurants So in you Louisiana. had some, yeah, okay, so yeah. yeah I knew how to work with fire. Yeah. I knew how to work the line. Um, but preparing, ordering on yeah. my own, meal planning, you know, all of that was very new to me. I, yeah. I just was putting my head down, making Mexican. I worked at a Mexican restaurant yeah. in Louisiana. I worked at, like, a, a fried fish place. I worked at my mom's hotel so she was the chef of a hotel yeah, exactly. in baton rouge, in baton rouge. Um, so yeah i mean i worked in restaurants but nothing to that extent i mean i had to order you I were running you're running a business i'm running a business i mean yeah. i couldn't we didn't we weren't like and how old were you we weren't time? like in philly like yeah. we could get a truck pull yeah. up to the back <laughs> exactly. of the, the boat Cisco every day wait so how old <laughs> even how old were you at this point i was 19 that's insane yeah yeah it was crazy and then you, it was a crazy experience. It was also you talk about how food, food also connects people. And you looked at all these the guys working <laughs> there who you thought you probably had nothing at all in common with. No, and they were going to look at you like, "Who's this kid?" Yeah, I was uh, terrified on that boat with these guys. That and what were they, and what were they like? How would you describe them? Just- I mean, like toothless white guys yeah. from the back roads of Louisiana. Like I was, I was afraid. I was, I was the only black guy on there, and we were stuck on this boat. You were a guy from New York with with nice shoes, with nice and, shoes and, 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 and tattoos. Yeah. And I walk on, and yeah, I already thought these guys were racist. But then this guy asked me if I know how to read. Yeah, I'm like, oh my god, what am I doing? You know, I can't even leave. You know, I'm I'm on this boat for. So three then, how weeks. did you make that initial connection with the workers? Like, what did you serve them, and and when did all of a sudden? I made them shrimp étouffée. Uh huh. And I remember. I said, I'm going to make shrimp etouffee. I said it to Tex or something. I guess he said it to the crew, like, yeah, he's going to make shrimp etouffee. So Good then, luck with that. Yeah. yeah so <laughs> then the whole crew, it started like it started like a conversation, and there was murmurings about it, like, yeah, we'll see. you know. And I started in the morning. I started making my shrimp. I was peeling all the shrimp, mm-hmm. cutting all the vegetables. I started making my shrimp stock, reducing that down. 
you know, then I made my house spice, you know, my mother's house spice recipe. So it's like our Cajun spice, essentially. And, and um, so you couldn't even text your mom if you had a question at this point? No. Oh, you're on. You're on it's, it's like when you're on Top Chef. Like, yeah, exactly. You, yeah, you just got to do it. it exactly. Yeah. And this was, I don't know, what, 10 years ago? So, mm-hmm. like, the boats weren't that advanced with cell phones, yeah. you know. Um, so, yeah, so I started making this all from scratch. And you can smell, like, the depth of flavor on the boat yeah. at this point in time. So by the time, like, 6 o'clock hit <laughs> like and the galley, the, the galley, yeah. like, gate opens up. <laughs> And I'm serving uh, the shrimp etouffee. The whole whole galley went silent. They were eating, and they came to me and was just like, "All right, man." (laughs) (laughs) What they were like, "What's for lunch tomorrow?" And and then that's how the conversation opened up. How long? How long did you stay on the boat for? The entirety of until it was like two months. Yeah. They were cleaning up the oil, and it was crazy, man. It was like oh, as far imagine. as the eye can see, it was just a sea of black. Yeah. And we'd be on the deck, and the little alarm would go off, and we had to go back in the boat, or else the fumes would knock us out. Oh God. Yeah, it was it was incredible. This book is is very candid, very raw at times. You you, you know you don't pull any punches or don't sort of you know if you have something to say about someone, you say about you say it about them, particularly a lot about your mom and dad. Have you? What has been your mom? Has your mom read the book? Mm-hmm. What, and what has her reaction been? And my mom is. Um, she's always been very supportive. Mm-hmm. Um, so she used it as like a, a tool. Honestly, I mean, I, I spoke to her a lot of the things that some may call criticism of her as as a parent. I've I've talked to her about that. You know, we've gone to therapy together. Yeah. Did you talk to her about while you were writing the book or no? Long long oh. time before. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So we've already been through these instances or um situations so it's it wasn't anything new to her and she was happy that i was able to tell my story have you spoken to your dad at all no no do you think he will read the book or do you have any idea have you gotten any feedback one way or the other i would would think so he would read the book yeah are you gonna let him reach out to you or would you reach out to him at some point um i don't know i like to play that by ear Mm -hmm. you know i'm not really um putting too much thought into it yeah did you, you obviously did a lot of homework for the book in terms of just your father's side of the family, your mother's side of the family, mm-hmm. grandfather ran a restaurant or bar, this and that. And yeah. Were you interviewing either of them or where, how did you gather all your information? Um, it was a lot of talking to them. So me and my co-writer, mm-hmm. um, Joshua co-author David Joshua Stein. David Stein, you know, he would spend a lot of time talking to a lot of my friends and family. Okay. You know, he spent time with my friend, uh, rest in peace in the Bronx and, and sat with him for a while, a couple of days and really got to know me from the other side of yeah. the, you know, looking in. So talk about going to, going to college. You went to college up in Connecticut. You ended up trying to make some money here and there, selling <laughs> some weed. It then turned into a much more full blown operation. Operation. Yeah. Did you ever think you were going to get out of that? Did you ever think you'd be sitting here right now? No. And in the time I was like, I'm, I'm taking this all the way. You know, yeah. like I was making a lot of money um, and it was the most money I ever seen. It was the most it was the only time I was financially independent. I, I didn't see an end. And it was really seeing uh, President Obama walk across that stage yeah. for some reason. You know, it really hit me and uh, it let me know that, you know, there's more to this life out there and anything that I really wanted to pursue that I could pursue. 
And at that point, you called your mom and said, can I come stay with you in Baton Rouge? Mm-hmm. How much of a sense do you think she had of what your life had become since you were, you know, a little kid? I don't think she knew to the magnitude of yeah. of where I was, was at, and how I was actually doing. Because, I mean, I'm not calling her and telling her, like, yeah. hey, I'm no. going to pick up half a pound for this. <laughs> you know, what are you up to? Like, it's not <laughs> – that's not how, how this conversation generally go. It's like, how you doing? I'm good. Yeah. You need anything? No. No, I'm good. Yeah. How was school? Fine. It's fine. Yeah. You know, when you're in that age, that 19-year-old, it's like you know everything. Yeah. You know, so um, it was it was, it was was that. It was coupled with my friends that have been around me since I was a young kid, and they also were kind of concerned at my obsession because I have a very obsessive personality. Like when I get into something, I, I go all the way, you know, and that's how I was, you know, and yeah, it was it was good that I that I got out when I did. Well, maybe oh, no, because no. now it's legal. So yeah, well, yeah well, I would have opened up a dispensary <laughs> now and, you and moved to yeah California yeah, or Portland or whatever. And fine, and big been in the big money. Notes from a young entrepreneur. entrepreneur. Yeah. <laughs> What's interesting also about the book is that the book starts and ends with your restaurant Shaw Bijou in D.C. So we're not even at Kith and Kin yet. Yeah, this is all before that. Yeah. So, yeah. I you know, it's funny because I remember that, that that I I think it's fair to say probably the most controversial restaurant opening in Washington D.C. Just for the listener, it got, it got a ton <laughs> of heat on the front end. You got a lot of people as you write about like who is this kid thinking he can mm-hmm. charge this much and who is this chef and yada yada yada. Yeah, yeah. Going through the the process of writing the book. How much of that was therapeutic for you to sort of move beyond what that experience was or at least sort of process it in a way that at the time you must have been just intense and like frustrated or angry or whatever? The process is very cathartic, you know, um, being able to really unravel the story and look at it, you know, because I in that moment, you know, I wrote, you know, and uh, got it all on the page. And then I had to take a step back, you know, and rewrite and rewrite mm-hmm. and look at it from outside perspective looking in. Um, and I'm very honest, you know, like I, I, I understand to a certain extent what they were, you know, talking about. Would I do it again? Hell yeah. Like, I, I still think it was a good restaurant. Well, you wouldn't. Yeah, I would say this. I, not to put words in your mouth, but I was thinking about that. Like, if you were to do it again, mm-hmm. uh, the obvious question is what would you do differently? Because there were a lot of factors that came into play who your partners exactly. were and why would, you were charging 185 mm-hmm. because they were short on money and they needed to charge that much. Like, let's say you, you, yeah, what, you, you tell me, what would you do differently? I would choose my partners differently, mm-hmm. for one. That's um, hard to do. When, it, someone, when you meet someone and they say, hey, we'll give you as much money as you course, want to start something, yeah, you're absolutely. like, hell yeah. But I think vetting your partners is really, really important. But you know that now, though. I know that now. But, so you, that's but what there's I would no do. way you would have known that But then. that's what I would do differently, right? Yeah, but it's like if, it's whatever that Bob Dylan song is, if I knew now what I knew then exactly. or whatever the birds or whoever's saying that. But it's like that's what's so hard because like, you had the ambition and the idea – but you obviously had not yet gone through all these experiences right, yeah. that would have taught you and how, I mean, to, how to handle those ideas and yeah. ambition. So, like, and it's funny we're sitting in front of a book with Patrick Clark on the cover. You know, I didn't really have any, like, older black chefs to call. Yeah, who could say, all right, if you're going to go into partnership with someone, make sure that A, B, C, D no, before. Yeah, you didn't have like, that. 
I was like, I was looked up to him. I was like, man, I wish I was coming up in the kitchens around that time. Yeah. You know, I would go work for him or something like that. Like now we have an array of, you know, other young black chefs, you know, who are at the helms of kitchen, who kitchens and own their own kitchens or yeah. have worked in the business for a while. But be that as it may, yeah, you know, you don't you don't know until you go through these these experiences, but these experiences make you. And that's why I said I would do it all over again because it made me who I am today. One thing that you did at the end of the book, the restaurant closed after a tumultuous three month run for various reasons, a lot having to do with the partners. It was and a such. it was a pop up, okay. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's pop up's a cool word. You could have easily just packed up and left DC. Yeah. But you decided not to. Because that'd have been the easy thing to do. I don't I don't think my story was, was over in DC. I would have always had that what if it would have worked out in DC mm-hmm. mentality. And I'm not that kind of person. So I wanted to stay there. I wanted to finish what I started. I also have history in D.C. It's not like I'm a passerby, you know. I spent my summers in D.C. My grandfather taught at Howard University, you know, in the 70s. And But did people know that when you opened Bijou or were people like, I don't oh, think people this, knew that. Who's this yeah. New York City chef coming down here telling us how to run a restaurant? Of course. That's yeah. what they said. But also, I'm, I'm not just going to jump on and be like, but I belong here. Yeah, but yeah, I did yeah. this. It's like. The proof is in the pudding. Yeah, ultimately, it. is a good restaurant or not. Exactly. Yeah. None of that stuff matters, you know. But internally, when you're asking me why didn't I just leave, it's because I've been a part of D.C. ever since I can remember. You know, I've always been in D.C. Yeah. Um, back before it was gentrified, when Shaw was a historical, like when Shaw was a black neighborhood. Yeah. Having grown up in D.C. in the 70s and 80s and going back now mm-hmm. and seeing the evolution of the neighborhoods and the city itself. It's, I don't want to say it's unrecognizable, but it's like, wow, this is not the city I it's grew up different. in. It's different. Exactly. I, so, I, I now go out. I'm like, I want to see stuff. I want to check stuff out. You yeah. know? It's like, I feel like I'm visiting like a new city a I've new never city. visited before. Exactly. So, yeah, it was hard for me to leave because I, I never left. When was the first time post-Bijou that you felt, oh, People in D.C., the diners, they like me. Like, they, they get it. They, under- I, they understand what I'm after now. Honestly, I always felt that way. I thought that, you know, yeah, I got a unfortunate circumstance happen, but people were coming to the Shaw Bijou. Mm-hmm. There was a time when they weren't coming. Yeah. Yes. But when we switched the menu over. Yeah, you said towards the end, you, people you were felt coming. you figured it out. People were, were coming, yeah. you know, and D.C. supported me ever yeah. since I've been there. Um, when the restaurant closed, I would be walking around DC and people would be like, Hey, Kwame, yeah. I'm so sorry. Shabiju closed. Keep your head up. Keep yeah. going. Because That's I cool. went there. It was an amazing experience or like, I didn't get a chance to go. I'm pretty sure it was dope. You didn't do anything wrong. You just opened a business. and didn't work out. Like yeah. don't that leave. Happens all the time in the <laughs> restaurant world in business in general. Yeah. You know? So, um, there are more businesses that, that fail than make it in, Every in the microphone yeah. production business and like oh, the yeah. paper cup business, you know, there's there's more in the magazine business. In the magazine business, exactly. Wood. So yeah, you know, I, I stayed and I, I I worked it out, and it's worked out. Um, all right, before we let you go, we're gonna do a quick lightning round. Okay. Some either or questions. Okay. You gotta answer. I like that. Ready? Yes. Gumbo or etouffee? Gumbo. Even though etouffee was the, was the dish that won over the the ship, gumbo won over me. <laughs> <laughs> Nike or Adidas? Nike. Got a favorite favorite model? There's so many good ones. I would say the Jordan Elevens. Oh, I got a pair of golf shoes. They just did a golf shoe version of those. Oh, the Elevens. Yeah, yeah that's awesome. Really cool. Uh, this might be a neither nor one. Deveining shrimp or cleaning an artichoke? Oof. 
cleaning an artichoke it's so therapeutic <laughs> so beautiful <laughs> that that eludes me uh this refers to your side business flats or drumettes oh flats all day really yeah flats they, all day it takes it more it's more skill to eat we're talking about wings here yeah they're to just eat so the flats juicier. you got to know what you're doing though yeah to get the meat out yeah it's, it's, you just twist and pop and then you well can see just, you know yeah. you, you own a wing joint yeah <laughs> easy for you to say uh, the worst of it, like my wife's from Buffalo, actually. Oh, like, really? Yeah, but they don't. She doesn't. It, like, a lot of times, I'll look over in the basket, and there's like you know half-eaten wings there. That's that. That really upsets me. I know. <laughs> po' boy or cheesesteak? Oof. Mm. Man, man, that's tough. These are supposed to be. That is tough. Um... I'm gonna have to go with a cheesesteak because you won't. You, <laughs> I was gonna say you're, you're Philly wing fry. It's either got a cheesesteak or wings, basically. Yeah, yeah. A cold brew or espresso? Espresso. Get it over with. <laughs> Any milk in there or just straight up? Nope. I just shoot it back. Snooze the alarm or get straight out of bed? Snooze the alarm multiple times. Multiple times. <laughs> Late nights. Scrambled or fried? Uh, scrambled. Do you do like the French thing where it's all soft and tender and stuff? Mm-hmm. Or? Yeah. It's That's, delicious. I, I agree. Aisle or window seat? Window. I go to sleep as soon as I sit on a plane. You can do that? I can do that. Before we take off, I'll oh, pass out right. and I'll go lean right on the window and I'm out. I don't need to use the bathroom. Nothing. You're a lucky man. Nacho cheese Doritos <laughs> cool or, ranch. or hot Cheetos? Oh, oh Cool Ranch. Oh, cool wait, ranch. we'll answer the question. Nacho cheese, Cool Ranch, or Hot Cheetos? Cool Ranch. Yeah. No, no question. The best flavor ever. But I hate ranch dressing. Oh, really? But the Cool Ranch Doritos are. You hate ranch dressing? Yes. Interesting. Yes. Fascinating. A couple more questions, and we'll let you roll. Early mornings or late nights? I'll take both, but if I have to choose um, late night. Yeah. Yeah. You work in the restaurant industry. Yeah, I can get up at four and exactly and five. And <laughs> I can do it all. It doesn't matter. Oh, wait. A couple more. Crawfish or crab? Crab. Well, any kind of particular? King crab. King crab. Why yeah. not? I mean, why the if, I, if I get a choice. Yeah, you get a choice. <laughs> All right, last question, Kwame. Olive oil or butter? Butter. 100%. Kwame Nwachi, thanks for joining us on the Bon Appetit Foodcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. The Bon Appetit Foodcast is produced by Carrie Polis and Christina Che and produced and edited by Emma Wurtzman. Our theme music is by Nathaniel Wurtzman. We have new episodes every Wednesday, and if you want to tell us about this or any other episode, email us at bonappetitfoodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.